Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. So we're Gospel Community Church, and we're starting a podcast for the very first time. So welcome to Daily Gospel. And uh, Brandon, why are we calling it Daily Gospel? Well, we're not calling it Daily Gospel because we're going to do this every single day, that just would, to be clear. That would um, kill us. That would be, yeah, we have a full-time job. This is not the core of it. But the reason is because we believe you need the gospel message uh, in your life every single day. And so we want to equip you to be in the word, to, to understand it, and to know God through it. So that's, that's the goal, is to help others read the Bible every single day. Yeah, and so this year... <clears throat> We're encouraging uh, the, the church, you guys, to read through the whole Bible and to just be dedicated to it, to be transformed by it, and uh, to be encouraged by it. I yeah. mean, what better thing could we be encouraged uh, with, you know? Yeah, and if you're not part of GCC and you want to read with us, that's awesome too. Um, thank you for, for joining us. So we're going to be jumping in. Um, there's, there's a lot to cover in this, this first section, huh? So much. We're at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, um, and we could spend... Uh, probably an hour on every single topic and then some. Uh, but we're going to do a broad brush of the first bit of Genesis. Uh, and I know Brandon loves this part of the Bible. I know I love it. There's so much to get into. Yeah. So many fun theological questions asked, but so so much of our understanding as Christians is built on these first couple chapters of the, uh, the Bible. Absolutely. So it's going to be amazing to go through it. Um, but yeah, but before we get into the details of, of Genesis and uh, of creation and the fall of man and all that stuff, we're going to walk through that with you. But before we get into that, um, uh, uh, how do you actually uh, like be consistent with reading the Bible in an entire year? Yeah, that's obviously a big question because um, the cliche in our culture, obviously, with New Year's resolutions is that we start it but we we fail, you know, a month or two months in, right? I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, it happened like uh, my first couple of years as being a Christian, I tried to do this Bible in a year plan, and I think I got through like the Pentateuch and like uh, maybe, maybe I got a third of the way through the Old Testament and then I just stopped. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, the cliche <laughs> is like you get to Leviticus and you're like, I, I can't, I just can't, you know? <laughs> This makes no sense. So, yeah, some, some tips for staying the course for the year. I mean, the, the biggest one, I think, is have a plan. Uh, and, and that's why we're doing this, right, is have a plan. Know um, what you're going to read. Know um, when you're going to read. So read at the same time every single day. And also, I, w- I would say know where you're going to read. Have a place that you go to every single day, yeah. and, and it's, that's it's how con- habits work, right? Yeah, it's consistency. Yeah, you, yeah. you get to that place, you sit in that chair, because that's what you do in the morning, and then when you get there, the Bible is next to you, and you open it. So mm. for me, it's uh, it's my office, which will soon be baby's room, baby number three's room. So, you know, Congratulations. It, it works for now. Yes, thank you. Wait, I'm going to have a third or second baby. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Congrats, yeah. dude. I had when no it, idea. When is your kid due? February 9th. Wow. Mine's due February 10th. Wow. That's it's almost planned. That's, it, it seems like it's almost planned. That's kind of creepy. But. Who's going to be preaching at our church? Well, I probably you. Let's be real here. I'm not. I'm not coming in. My word. So so anyway. So so get a plan, right? Have those things in place. Have a reading plan, and we have one available for you uh, on our website. It'll be linked in the description of the video. Um, but read along with us, and then also um, don't just have a plan, but pray before you read. Yeah, when we come to the Bible, like 
honestly, there are times when we come to God's word and it's hard to come to God's word, right? We've all been there where it's a struggle to open up this book and just have your daily devotions and get into it. Uh, but it's more than just reading some words on a page. It's you're interacting with who God is. You're interacting with the the very person of God and his words. And, uh, and uh, like, it's a prayerful time where you're, you're meditating while you read God's word. And so like soak that time up, enjoy it. And yeah. And, and pray as you're reading, pray before you read, ask God to to reveal the truths of his of his scripture to you before you start, you know. That's right. Yeah, because we come to God's word to to learn about him, but we can't understand God apart from God's mm. empowerment. So we ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Um like this the psalmist says in Psalm 119, "Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your law." So we need God to open our eyes. So that's one of my prayers every time I go to scripture is open my eyes, God. Um, or even on Sunday mornings, op- open our eyes so that we can understand you and know you. So you got to have a plan. You got to pray. I would say pray um, before you open God's word. And then the third thing is uh, just a, a practical point is read through the entire passage. I know there are going to be things that we don't understand when we come to God's word, and we're going to want to stop. Some of us want to stop and want to look up every term, every person that we don't know. Which is, I mean, it's not a bad thing to do that, but if, if, if your goal is to read through the Bible in a year and get a, a big picture of the, the whole Bible, um, it's going to be really hard to actually get through the whole thing, and you're not going to see the bigger picture of the text. Exactly. So you have to, you have to read through it, familiarize yourself with the story as a whole, and then go back and address questions you have. And one way you can do that is, as you're reading, um, just have a pencil in hand. I always read with a pen or a pencil in do, hand. Do you mark your Bible? All the time. Yeah, all the do time. You, do you ever cross sections of your Bible out? No, well, that's probably not a good thing. Okay, just not clarity. Advisable. Yeah. Do you draw art in your Bible? No, that's I, I am a dude. If I don't okay. do that. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I don't do that. Um, but one thing you do with a pencil is just put a question mark in the margin. If you come to a, a passage and you go, I don't know why this is here, just put a question mark. Um, you can ask us. Obviously, that's what we're here for. Um, or you can go to a commentary later on and look up that specific passage. But I would say just read through the passage as a whole, get the flow of the narrative. That's how you're going to actually be able to to stay the course. Yeah, amen. And I think another good thing when you're when you're taking on the the challenge of reading the Bible in a year, um, it's also fun to do it with someone else. To not do it alone. Um, you have members at the at, at uh, your church that you can read with. Uh, you have friends that you can say, "Hey, let's do this together." Uh, if you have your spouse, you can uh, read with them every morning or every evening. What's best for you guys? Uh, but do it with someone. That not just it's not just for an accountability thing, but uh, it gives enjoyment to to um, interact with God together, and it keeps it can keep you all, all consistent together. That's right. Absolutely. And that's, that's our goal in this. Um, obviously, something online doesn't replace the gathering of the church, but we believe this is an easy way to, to have someone reading alongside with you. When I disciple a young man, I al- almost always will read through the Bible with them. Well, at first, it's hand-holding. It's step-by-step. It's really slow going through Genesis, but as they get familiar with the Scripture, they're able to read bigger and bigger chunks, and I'm there more as a, um, you know, kind of color commentary, like helping them fill in the, in the gaps of what they're reading, but they're going to understand more and more as they go along. So that's the point of this as well, is to do that with, with all of you. Yeah, awesome. <clears throat> well, um, we've talked a little bit about how you, we can encourage each other to, to continue uh, reading through the Bible an entire year, which, as we all know, can be a challenge. Um, but before we get into Genesis and talking about the details of our text that we've read this week, um, let's talk about what the Bible is. What is this book? Um, that that uh, the Christians uh, uh, live their life and build their life around. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Because I've heard in my time, I've been in the church my whole life, and I've heard many um, definitions of, of God's word. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of, you know, taken those in and believed those. And I think some of them just fall a little bit short, right? So obviously one of the biggest ones we would say that's that's not a good description of the Bible is the Bible is just a, a set of rules, right? That would be one right. faulty or, or it just falls short in a lot of big ways, right? But even people will say... But there are the, rules in the Bible, right? There are, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Some people will say the Bible is a handbook for life. And, and if so, I mean... Yeah, an instruction manual. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's weird that in, if this is the manual, the how-to manual, you actually have outdated information in it is what it seems like, right? Mm-hmm. You have the, the Old Testament law, which we don't follow. We don't sacrifice animals today. So it's like it's like well, you're reading a manual for you don't sacrifice animals. Well, yes, I don't, and hopefully, none of our staff. No, do I eat either. animals. I'm, okay, yeah, that's good. okay. That's that's good. Yeah. Um, but it, it would be like including like you're reading a a handbook for I don't know what the current Windows is. I don't know anything about computers, but for the current <laughs> Windows operating system, and it has like parts of the of the manual are for Windows ninety five, mm. right? I mean, so obviously it's it's not just a a handbook for life. There's much more to it than that although it does tell us how to live, uh, or some people say it's a love letter from God. But there's, I mean, there's a lot of judgment in this love letter right. from God. It's a, I would never write a love letter like that. So what is the primary way that we, that we look at Scripture? How do we define it in the simplest sense? And I would say that it's the, the story of God's salvation. That's the way I would define it. It's the story of God's salvation. So first of all, it's a story. I mean, the main framework of Scripture is narrative. Um, that that's the flow and that's how we understand everything else. It's, it's a story set in a certain context delivered to certain people and we are not the first audience. There's, there's someone else receiving this. And so that's going to help us understand the things that would seem quote unquote outdated in it. Right? So it's a story first of all, and then it's a story of salvation. So it's a story that gives to us the answers to our most fundamental problems. I mean, it does speak to every hope, every longing of the human heart. Um, that's in scripture. And so it's, it's going to speak to those. And it's going to resolve the biggest problems we have. And then, of course, maybe most importantly, it's the story of God's salvation. Yeah. Because yeah, there's a lot of worldviews out there that tell a story of some kind of salvation. You know, communism does this. The goal is to reach a utopian society where, you know, everything is, you know, evenly distributed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of salvation stories. The Bible is specifically about God's salvation story. And that's a unique thing. That's right. Yeah. And so you and I are not the main character of the Bible. And that's important to understand. It's really? not. Yeah, I know it's shocking, right? It, it seems like it should be about us, but, but it, it's about God and what he's doing. And so we open the Bible so we can encounter God, so we can know him. Mm. So that's the simplest way I can put it. And that's going to be helpful as we see in these first few chapters, the, the narrative that's unfolding, because it's the narrative that everything else hangs on. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, especially like we're going to be doing this podcast through uh, the Old Testament. We're not going to be touching the New Testament this year. Um, but it's, it's like I love what you said about that the, the Bible is God's story laid out in salvation, uh, and that's God's salvation specifically. And like you, could, you can look at the, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, as just a collection of histories or just maybe role models that aren't so good role models, you know, or even a list of rules, but it's so much more than that. It's a, it's a story about how God is, is, is saving humankind and coming back in relationship, uh, uh, how humans are coming back into relationship with him. And so, and it's a beautiful story. And I, I, when you see the whole Bible connected in this overarching story of God's redemption, the Bible really comes alive. It, it doesn't become drab. 
uh, uh, it's just a list of histories and ancient people and ancient cultures that are far removed or weird song, old hymns, you know, it's, but it comes alive and, and to know that, that God's story is still being moved through his redemptive, uh, uh, history today is an amazing thing. We're, we're in a, we're a part of this history even today. And we look yep. forward to that day when, when God's going to make all things new. So, uh, it's cool to look at this book as, as God's story and, 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 uh, and that's, that's how we have to look at it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to see each, each week, Okay, what does this say in its original context? But then also, how does that connect with the gospel story, the good news of mm. Jesus Christ, which has direct impact for us as well? So this is uh, immensely practical. It's going to show us how to live our lives. It's going to show us who God is and how we can trust him. Um, but we have to understand it in its, in its context first. So that's what I'm passionate about. I'm excited to dive into this. And, uh, and hopefully for, for you watching, um, you'll, you'll commit to this and read with us. And... Um, Obviously, we're doing this on an online format, which is, that's not our expertise, right? My expertise is the Bible and the church. Um, it's not technology. So we'll be figuring out some some technological things along the way, but hopefully this will be um, workable for now. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to have conversations about God's Word. And if you guys ever have any questions, you guys can always uh, get in contact with us uh, at GCC um, on our website, gospelcommunitysc.org, and ask some questions. Um, so... Um, talked about uh, what the Bible is. We've talked about tips in, uh, on how to read the Bible in a year. Um, you want to get into actual the Bible? Let's do it, man. we got a lot to cover in Genesis we for have this first week. We have a ton to cover. And, and we'll be, I don't know if we said this already, but we'll just be covering the Old Testament portion mm -hmm. each week. So there's Old and New Testament. We, we don't want this to be super, super long, so we'll just be going through the Old Testament this year, which we think is really the most difficult um, of course, passages to read. Yeah, for for new Christians and uh, for those of you who've known uh, God for many years, I mean, there's things in the Old Testament that are really hard yeah. to digest. I mean, it's a totally different culture, uh, and uh, immersing yourself in that is really difficult. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll try to tackle all the the hard stuff, and it'll it'll be interesting. So cool. Yeah, let's just jump into Genesis. Awesome. So so Genesis. Um, these first, we're just going to cover about the first 11 chapters. We'll see how far we can get today. But um, these first 11 chapters have probably the, the four or five of the most important stories in mm. the Bible. So you're, you're not going to see another place in Scripture, except for maybe the Gospels, where it's so dense and so many highly charged, important narrative accounts. So to try to unpack all of this is going to be tough in just this little bit of time. But we are, um, in 2021, we're doing a series on Genesis. That's what we're, that's what we're doing for. So we're going to spend months in this section that we're going to cover in right. just a few minutes. So, so, so that's kind of, I mean, that's my, you know, consolation because it's very hard for me to talk about this and to not deal with all the things right. that are so important. Yeah. And our, and our goal here is not to uh, explain every single part of the old Testament and, you know, it, over the course of the year. Our goal is to give you an overarching idea of what's happening in God's story. And so when we come to God's word, we're going to be following the big narrative points, the God's covenants, big moments in, in the history of God's people, and explaining how that fits in to the ultimate redemptive coming of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's right. Yeah, that's that's what we're doing. We're not going to hit on every detail, but if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. Yeah. So some themes that we see in this first chapter, we see obviously the one of the big ones is God as creator. That's that's not a surprise at all. Genesis starts with God taking this earth that in verse two it says is without form and void, and it's it's just darkness, and He's bringing order out of it. Mm. 
So that's one of the big things we can see in this first chapter is that God takes takes chaos and brings it to order. Yeah. And we actually see that in the structure of the the six days of creation. Um, we see that God is actually structuring them in a way where he is, well, think about it. For the first day, he's, he creates light, and he separates light and darkness. So there's a place for light, and there's a place for darkness. So he's bringing order, hmm. right? Day two is he, he makes the waters, separates the waters, right? He makes an expanse between the waters. So there's the waters in the heavens, and then there's the you know, seas and all that stuff that we know here on earth. Right. Um, so he's, he's creating these, these spheres of sky and sea. And then on day three, he has land come up and vegetation with it. And then the, the next three days correspond to the first three days, right? right? So, so day four, he creates um, the stars, the sun and the moon, the heavenly bodies, right? So day one was light, and day four is those things that bring light right. to our world. Um, day five is about the, the birds of the air and the, the sea creatures. So he's, he's taking those those spheres he created on day two, right. and he's filling them on day five. And then day six corresponds with day three, right? Where he brings animals onto the, onto the earth, land animals. And of course, humanity is the pinnacle of that as right. well. So that's sort of the, the structure of those first six days. And so we see, even in the way that God's creating, that he is displaying his, his order and his goodness in creation. Yeah, that's a huge thing with creation, right? The, the fact that it's repeated that, it's, that it was good, right? That's right, and and so uh, nothing was flawed in the very beginning, and that's an it's an amazing thing to think about. Like we can't even imagine a world that's 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 uh, free of uh, brokenness or uh, the biblical word sin, right? Yeah, yeah. So so God's creation is good. I mean, this was in a lot of ways a, a radical idea for most ancient civilizations mm. that, that the created world itself is a good gift from God. Right. And then we see also this theme of God's word. Mm-hmm. Ten times yeah. in Genesis 1, God speaks, right? Ten times in the creation account, God speaks. And what we see is that God values his word and that his word is powerful. Mm. It actually has action to his words. Like when we speak, we just say something and has implications. But, you know, we can't use words to actually create something. We have to use our hands, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so God's word is powerful. And this is going to shape how we see God's word in terms of the, the written text mm. or what God speaks as well. Because when God speaks, creation response creation obeys um and and as humans right because of the fall when god speaks we often disobey that's Mm. our default actually so we see the power of god's word um we also see the the special priority given to humanity Mm. right i mean the the value of humanity is clear from the way that they're created god god takes time even in the creation account he slows down and takes time to specially create man and then woman right in a way that that shows their value i mean look at look at chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 i mean the, these words have the greatest impact in terms of how we see humanity from any words that were ever written really uh, verse 26 god says let us make man in our image after our likeness hmm. and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of man, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Hmm. So we see both male and female in God's image, yep. and we see that man is created to be like God, right? They're, they're created in the likeness of God and in the image of God. So, that, so the, the role of man, the task given to man is to 
rule on the earth as representatives of God. That's the greatest way I could, I could sum up the image of God is t- it's to represent God here on the earth. Yeah. So, so that, that's the task of man. So we see the special value of man. We see that the, the priority uh, given to rest mm. in chapter two, right? God, God, as he finishes his work, he sets the agenda for human work as well. And he institutes a day of rest and he teaches his people to rest. And we'll look at that more later when we get the Ten Commandments. But this is a big idea, right? Yeah. Slaves work all the time, but God's people are not slaves. And so they rest. And in fact, rest is given as a gift to humanity before there's actually the, a task to be done. Yeah. Right. So before they're actually working, God is making sure that they rest just as he is resting. Well, I mean, they're being fruitful and multiplying. That seems like hard work. That is that is hard work. And that's that's yeah. obviously a, a, an important theme we'll get to as well. The importance of being fruitful and multiplying that sets the agenda for Genesis as well. Yeah. I, I do have a question about this. The, these first uh, uh, verses and even into chapter two a little bit. Um, well, one is like, do you do you think that the world was created in uh, literal days? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Bible is pretty clear that it's literal days, um, and that's a whole longer conversation to have. I'd be remiss not to mention that. Yeah, briefly. no. I think it's. I think I'll put my cards out there right now and say, yeah, yeah no. I think the uh, the the days are actual days, and and when he says day and night, one day. That's actually what it says in Hebrew. Literally, is one day, not right. the first day. It's, it's being. I always think like if God had wanted to say this is an actual day, what more could He have said? Right. I mean, he's constantly saying day and night, one day, not a thousand years, like one day. Right. So, so yeah, no, I, I definitely fall in that camp. Awesome. And a question that I often get asked too, um, when I'm, when we're going through the first two chapters of Genesis is why does there seem to be two creation accounts? You got, uh, one through two, uh, three, and that seems to be one creation account. And then you have, he starts over again in two, four, with like, he seems to be just repeating himself, the author Moses. And so what's going on here? Yeah. So again, this, this is a, a big thing we talked about for a long time, but the, the basics of this is this is God. So he, in chapter one, he, it's kind of the big picture of creation, right? Here's what's happening. Here's the framework. Chapter two, he's slowing down. Mm. It's sort of the, the instant replay, right? Him slowing down and explaining how how the creation happened and the intimate way in which God created humans. Mm. It's not that he created humans once and then he created a different human on, on chapter two. Right. It's just explaining the, the, the same action. So it's the same with the creation account. Um, it's, it's saying, it's explaining in some detail what is happening here yeah. with the formation of the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. I've always like, I've heard this really great explanation of it too, that when chapter two starts with the second creation account, it's the narrowing of God's story. It's not just about that God created this, this earth with all these beings and, and, and creatures in them, and it's beautiful and good. The writer is getting to the root of what the rest of this Bible is going to be about. It's about humans and God. And so the, the story starts to narrow. It's not only about all these other creation things. It's specifically narrowing in uh, to people, to humans and God. And yeah, so the exactly. story is getting really specific. Yeah, the lens is focusing yeah. on on that specific thing. And you'll see you see that word um, in chapter two, verse four, when it switches to that set kind of second creation account. Um, it says these are the generations mm. of the heaven and the earth when they were created. That word generations is very important. We'll get to that um, a little bit later. But yeah, so um, it was God created everything uh, and it was good, right? But, That's it, right. but it didn't stay good, right? What happened? No, no, yeah. So in chapter three, we have the account of the of the fall. 
Um, we have the account of the fall, and we what we see here is the specific way in which the serpent comes and tempts Adam and Eve. Mm. And, and I love, uh, I mean, obviously it's a very sad account, but I do love the details of what the serpent says and what they show us about temptation, right? The serpent we yeah. know from the rest of Scripture is Satan, right? Who's referred to as the, the ancient serpent, even as late as Revelation, right? Go, tying back into this account. Satan is the one who's coming and um, who is in the form of a serpent and who is deceiving Adam and Eve. And he does it in a few different ways that are, it's amazing how consistent these ways are mm. with temptation today, right? His first question is, did God actually say? Yeah, did God actually say, did he? Did he actually say, right? I, I mean, maybe he said something a little bit different. I mean, that's, that's the first step in any temptation is for Satan to, to sow a seed of doubt mm. and say, did God actually say? Then after that is a denial of judgment. So the woman responds by saying, when we eat of this tree, there's this tree in, this, in the center of the garden. If we eat of that tree, we will die, mm. right? That's the clear command of God, that disobedience equals death. Mm. And the question from the serpent is, or the, the statement, I should say, is you will not surely die. Uh, denial of judgment. That's, I mean, look at our world today. The world doesn't think any wrong that they do is worthy of any kind of judgment, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. You you won't have any impact from this or that sin, right? We hear that mm. all the time. And that's, we even check ourselves with that. Yeah. Oh, this one little sin, it's just a little sin. It won't affect the rest of my my existence. It won't affect my family. It won't yeah, affect don't worry about it. Yeah. No, no big deal. No big deal. So that's the second thing. And then he, he gives uh, the, the enticement, right, which is verse 5. God knows that when you eat of the tree, when you disobey him with this test he's put before you, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Mm. And, of course, that's just such, it's, it's so ironic because humanity already is like God. Right. Humanity already is created in God's likeness. Right. So in the, in the ways that they're supposed to be like God, God has already given that to them. But he's saying, be like God in the ways that you're not supposed to be like God. And, and that's also a common temptation. I mean, every, it seems like every false religion in some way gives that promise. Mm -hmm. If you sin in this way, if you follow our path, you will be like God. You can take God's place in your own life and sit on the throne and make your own rules. Yeah. Yeah, the depth of Genesis uh, 3 right here and just examining how this same sin is the root of all of our uh, sin in our life is pretty incredible. And we're in the third chapter of the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> we, we haven't even got into the story. Yeah, so we see who, see who God is. We see who we are, our fundamental identity. Mm. We see um, what's wrong with the world. Yeah. I mean, all of this is just in the first few chapters of the Bible. Um, so, And then what we see is we see from the fall, we see the curse is put upon right. the creation. And it's, it's very important. The curse starts with the serpent himself. Right. It right. starts with Satan. God pronounces a curse against the serpent, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, but then the curse is not on Adam and Eve. The curse is actually on the, the ground. Hmm. So the explicit thing he says to Adam in verse 17 of chapter 3 is he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Right. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So it's explicitly the ground that's cursed. Now, Adam and Eve, they inherit this curse. Right, They're part, I mean, they... Yeah, the because curse affects them. Absolutely, right? They, yeah. they bear the marks of the curse. Um, childbearing is affected. Work. Relationships, yeah, work, all those things. We see even before this um, shame and guilt, right? The fact that they're hiding from God. They got us to seek them out. I mean, they, everything has changed. They, they now live in a place of, of blame shifting, of guilt, of shame, mm. all these terrible things. 
um, are weighing on them because of the, the, the guilt of their sin. Yeah. Yeah. And we, that blame shifting too. You, like you see, you see Adam and Eve blaming each other, but you see Adam blaming God too. Mm-hmm. The woman whom you gave me, God, right? Yeah. You, it's your fault, God. You created all of this. You gave us all this stuff. It's your fault that I sinned. And how often do you hear that? That it's God's fault that all the brokenness of this world exists. Yeah. It's like the proverb, I don't know the reference off the top of my head, but it says, a man's folly brings his way to ruin, and his heart rages against the Lord. Mm, yeah. You know, you, get, you, you do something stupid, you ruin your life, and then you get upset with God. Somehow this is God's fault because he let you have the consequences of your, of your sin. Mm. But we, I mean, we all do that, I think. Right. right we all do that. So, so we see the effects of the fall. And then what we see in chapters four and five is really the downward spiral. Yep. It, because we're going to look at this in, in, uh, a little bit later, but there's a promise given to Eve that her offspring will defeat the serpent, right? There's, there's a curse on the serpent that, that there will come one from the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, through 15. And it, in ver- chapter four, it, it would be a natural thing if you were the only humans on earth <laughs> and then another human is born. I mean, the, the world population went up by 50% that day. This is a big moment. This has never happened. And so she's exalt, like she's very proud of this, right? In, in chapter four, verse one, she says, "I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord." She's she sounds victorious. She's confident, right? That right. that something is happening that's very important here. But what we see between Cain and Abel, the the first two brothers, is that Cain, the firstborn, murders his brother. Mm. So the downward spiral is continuing, right? right? Things are getting worse and worse, and he's he's doing it just out of sheer jealousy, right? out of petty jealousy. And then in, in chapter, or at the end of chapter four, we were introduced to this guy named, uh, named Lamech. So we see that the line continue. Cain is able to live after he commits murder. He starts a city, right? These guys lived a, a very long time. Where, where so, did all these people come from? Yeah, so they, they came from, from them, from Adam and Eve and their kids, right? So if you live to be seven, 800, 900 years old, um, you would have a lot of, of children. Oh, I yeah. know you, right? You would have... First of all, a lot of children, and those children have a lot of children as well, right? No birth control back then. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the world's population is growing over the course of, of centuries. She's saying in this first season of humans on Earth that they're procreating with their brother and sister? Yes, yes, that's pretty clear. Wow. So, And, and those laws only come into place, right, in, in the Old Testament law. Before that, it's very, I mean, Abraham marries his, his half-sister, right? Sarah's his half-sister. So that was very common back then. It's weird to us, and it should be weird to us. But back then, um, let's just say the options, the dating pool was pretty limited. Right? Well, Everyone was homeschooled, and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> you didn't have too many options as to who you married. Well, let's just uh, thank the Lord that, uh, as we'll see here in a little bit, he wipes out all those people who were having uh, <laughs> procreation with their brother and sister. And we started well, then over who with... Kids at, no, okay. <laughs> well, well, well <laughs> oh, no. it's, it's your cousin. No, no. Uh, Shem. Yeah, oh, my oh, Lord. No. Okay. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, we see with Lamech, that he's actually, first of all, it says he's he's married to multiple women, so he speaks to his wives. Right. So that's that's the first time that's introduced, and it's clearly a negative thing right. to be a polygamist. And then he basically has this poem in chapter 4, verse 23, where he's bragging about killing people. He's like, oh, Cain killed someone because of an offense. I, I killed someone just for talking to me the wrong way, for looking at me the wrong way, right? Like, Lamech is essentially the first gangster rapper to, to live, right? And you can tell that I know rap music because I say gangster rapper, just like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so obviously I know what I'm talking it's about. It's very offensive, but. by the way. Okay, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So anyway, so, so this is what we see. And actually, the end of chapter four, we see that a, a, um, Seth has a, a son, right? So this, the grandson of, of Adam, and he names his name Enosh, which means incurably sick. Incurably oh. sick. Why would you name your kid that? Because, I mean, the implication seems to be this is the state of the world, ah. right? This is God's people are seeing that the world is sick. And it says right after that, it says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Hmm. So it's as the desperation, as the spiral is, is going down, chapter four, that people begin to call upon God. Hmm. So then in chapter five, we see the descendants of, of Adam. So we see the line of, of the... Adam and Eve continues, right? The godly right. line continues, and it continues through a guy named Seth. And this is interesting because th- there's a question here after chapter three of do, d- do humans still have the image of God? Are we still in God's likeness? And when we see in chapter five, verse one, it says, these are the books, or this is the book of the generation of Adam. Mm-hmm. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he followed his son in his own likeness mm. after his image and named him Seth. Right. So every kid is still born in the likeness of God. That's right. So it's making explicit with those same words that, um, that this is carrying on the image of God. Right. So we see that and we see the line continue and we see, um, we see it culminate in the person of, of Noah. So the spiral is going down, but there's still a godly remnant here. And Noah is the one who God is going to choose to redeem. Yeah. So, and, and then the, the big story we see in chapter six is the, the flood, right? The flood narrative is a big deal because it's gotten so bad, right? We see in chapter six, verse five, the wickedness was so great. Humans were only evil all the time yeah. that God said, I have to wipe it out and start new. Yeah. And so this introduces a new theme, which is the theme of judgment. But not only is the theme of judgment, there's also a theme of salvation, because Noah and his family are chosen by God to be saved through the waters of judgment. Hmm. And so God, we won't look at the details of this story very much, but God, re- God saves Noah and his family through the ark. They build an ark. It takes them a long time. And he brings rain and, uh, from above and waters from below to flood the earth. And th- what we see in this um, is we see that God is returning the creation to its, its sort of pre-six days of creation state, which was, which was watery chaos, right. right? So God is bringing it back to chaos, and we see him walking through the same steps as the creation account. Yeah, decreation. Yeah, yeah decreation, and then he goes back, and creation happens again, mm-hmm. right? We see the animals coming out of the ark. We see the, the waters subsiding before that. We see a lot of the things in the creation account happening again, uh, slower this time, obviously. Right. But God has wiped out humanity and started again and he is recreating and so um, we could talk a lot about judgment but we don't have time for that today but that theme we'll be looking at it in detail later on so that's that's a big one and then god makes a covenant with noah in chapter eight in chapter eight which is basically a covenant to say i'm going to make sure that the world and the and the seasons continue right so god's gonna gonna give his common grace to all people to make sure the world is continuing in the same pattern right so <clears throat> with that how afraid should we be of climate change <laughs> well that, i mean that's also a, a big topic but which we don't have time for because we're trying to fit a ton in at one time but no i don't think we should be afraid the world's going to end by by cli- at least right. not climate change in that sense right, but i love those um, world uh those uh, end of world movies though they're so entertaining you know? they are they are yeah. really good yeah, yeah there's there's some good cheesy ones out there yeah 
Uh, and then what we see in chapter nine is Noah, who is really the, the second Adam, right? If if you know Adam was put on this earth after the, the the waters were separated and the animals came forth, then Noah is that second. He's sort of the okay. This is sort of Noah part two or Adam part two. Well, Noah actually ends up in the same state as Adam. Right. We see this weird story where he gets drunk and he's laying naked outside, right? He's naked and ashamed, right. just like Adam and Eve were. Mm-hmm. And it leads to, a, a fa- we see that the downward spiral is going to continue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep going down and things are getting worse and worse and worse. And really it culminates in the Tower of Babel story. Yeah. So the Tower of Babel is this picture of humanity in its self-exaltation, its, um, its desire to be God, creating a tower to the heavens, hmm. coming together and with new technology and saying, it, it, we see here in verse four, it says, let's, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Right. So God's command was to be fruitful, multiply, to fill the earth. Right. And they're saying, we don't want to do that. Right. We want to do the opposite. We want to stay together and exalt ourselves. Right. And so what God does is he thwarts the ingenuity of man to disobey his commands. And he scatters them throughout the earth by changing their languages, by confusing them and introducing all different kinds of languages to the earth. Yeah, that's, I mean, that seems pretty harsh at first reading anyway. I know when I first read that, I was like, what is God doing? Like, I mean, our, our entire culture today is based off the progression of technology and and man achieving ends like honestly the tower of babel yeah. like so why would god stop that how, and so and how is that a good thing yeah yeah i mean so it's it's not innovation itself right it's innovation used to thwart god hmm. to go against god and what we're going to see in the in the next chapters as we look at them next week we'll see the story of abraham so god's going to bring his salvation through a story that is, in some ways, the the inverse of mm. the Babel story. Right. Um, so we're we're gonna see what God does through through Abram. But I mean, to just put it briefly, um, we don't make our ourselves great. God is going to exalt whoever He wants to exalt. Right. And and Abram is the one that He chooses. Right. We know know as Abraham. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's sort of the outline of this. And um, again, there's a lot more we could say, but that's yeah. sort of the, the 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 bare bones of the first few chapters of Genesis. Awesome. Um, yeah, I know I want to talk about each of these uh, for much longer, um, but let's see how the gospel actually connects to this. How does the New Testament and what Jesus Christ has done, the good news, how does the gospel connect with the story even now as early as these first eight chapters of Genesis? Yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously so many things we can say because all of the themes of Scripture pretty much are starting right here. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of these themes are resolved in Jesus, but the big things I would say is, the picture of Adam and of Noah as these as these heads of the creation, right? As these people who um, are the forefathers of everyone else, and their both of their failures, right? Adam in, in taking the fruit and disobeying God's one clear command, and Noah himself in his in his sinfulness and his drunkenness. In other words, humanity is no matter what God does. Even if he wipes the slate clean, humanity always has a sin problem. Hmm. And Jesus comes, as Romans 5 says and 1 Corinthians 15 says, he comes as the new Adam, as the second Adam. Right. As the one who goes back and does what Adam could not do, hmm. which is he obeys God's commands perfectly, right. flawlessly. No matter how God judges us, we still have that fundamental problem. 
And that problem is only solved through Jesus Christ. Right. Of course, the other passage we see, which is super important, is Genesis 3.15, which we didn't talk about in detail, but I'll talk about a little bit now, which is it says in Genesis 3.15, as God is cursing the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So he's speaking in sort of a cryptic way about this battle that's going to happen throughout time between the descendants of the woman and between the, the descendants, in a sense, of Satan, right? Between Satan's powers and between God's people. Mm. There's going to be this battle. But then he takes that plural word offspring, which is seed. It's sort of a collective noun. And he starts referring to it in the singular as a right. he. Yeah. So there's going to be one person who will stand in for the entire offspring who will do battle with the serpent and will crush the serpent, Right. who will bruise his head, meaning crush, obliterate him. But in the, in the process of that, that offspring, that descendant, that seed will himself be injured. Right? Yeah. He will have his heel bruised. And if you get bitten by a snake, you die. Right. That's at least what we know. So there's going right. to be some sort of uh, fatal wound to this victor. But also in the process, Satan himself will be crushed. Right. And if we fast forward, obviously, there's a lot of development in Scripture. We fast forward to what we know now is Jesus was that one who came and was dealt a fatal blow. At least Cru it seemed like crucifixion. Yeah, crucifixion. Right. No. He was he was killed. But in that, he crushed the power of sin and the power of death. Right. Mm. In his resurrection, he forgave our sins. And he gives victory over Satan right. that is complete. Yeah. So, and he'll come back and secure that victory someday. So, I love that because that's the first response of God to humanity's sin. Yeah, that's in the midst of of the curse, right? When he came back after Adam and Eve have sinned, and that's before. Right? That's before he curses Adam right. and Eve. He he calls for them. He asks them what they did, but then he curses Satan and gives them the gospel. Says, yeah. I'm I'm gonna I have a plan already. It's already in place that is going to save you from this mistake that you made, right. from the disaster that you've brought on. So everything that follows in terms of the downward spiral of humanity, we have to see in light of God's promise that He's going to He's gonna make all things new. Right? Right. He's gonna save humanity in spite of themselves. Right. Yeah. So I guess that answers our question. How does the gospel connection? Though well, the good news is literally in Genesis three fifteen. Yeah. Like the Proto-Evangelion, right? And this is how God is going to bless the world through this uh, man coming to earth. That's right. And the last thing I'll say um, is, so the, the entire structure of Genesis from this point on is going to be through um, these genealogies that are given again and again. And, and what it will the say, seed, right? Yeah, what yeah. it will say is the same thing we saw in chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of and it'll, it'll say someone's name, right? Just like we saw in chapter five, verse one, the generations of Adam. Mm. And then we see the generations of Noah and so on and so on. That word generations uh, is the word toledot in Hebrew. And the, the Greek interpretation of that word gives us the name of the book, which is Genesis. Right. So th that framework is very important because it's tracing the offspring of the woman who's going to come, who's going to save humanity. Mm. But the answer won't come in Genesis. Right. It's gonna, we're going to be looking for it for a long time. But understanding that, that narrative and the tension that's being built is so important to understand what God's doing in Genesis. Well, amen to that. Well, that's all we have time for uh, today. Uh, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. And uh, may God be uh, equipping you to know him through his word and his son, Jesus Christ.